Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Welcome to the Gold Medal Club was my favourite congratulatory tweet after Rob Heffernan's heroics yesterday. It came from Sonia O'Sullivan. Mm, sounded of, a lot like a David Cockman kind of Well, it was one of only two people in the club yeah. who could actually have uttered that particular sentiment. I realised to my shame that I couldn't fully remember the detail of Sonia's 5,000 metres world championship victory in 1995. I had a vague recollection that she ran on the shoulder of the leader for most of the race and then mm. kicked for home, which is generally what she did. So I had to look back at it this morning, Murph. And yeah, she ran on the shoulder of the leader for most yep. of the race and kicked for home with 250 metres to go. Fernanda Ribeiro, the great Portuguese athlete, who was a world record holder at the time, was the athlete in front at that stage. But a serious cast of characters involved though, and a young Gabriela Jabo tears off like a lunatic at the start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, she hadn't, you know, she hadn't been in any trouble at well, that stage. That's just what I'm booing. Paula Sorry. Radcliffe. Yeah. Again, quite a young Paula Radcliffe takes up the running at one point. Brendan, funny, it's, it's obviously so long ago that Brendan Foster, commentating, had to make reference to her ungainly style. Oh, right. He wasn't even used to it at this yeah. stage. And she said, it doesn't matter how she looks when she's running, it's about getting from A to B as fast as you can. But Sonia's masterful throughout the whole thing. And she is going to be on with Rob Heffernan very shortly. Have the two of them on together, two of the three-person club. Yeah, I... Uh I know it went wrong for Sonia a couple of times, high profile and all the rest. But watching her, you know, do in the you know during the Golden League meetings and all of that, when you just knew that she was faster than everyone else over the last kind oh, of yeah. two hundred meters, it was just an absolutely brilliant feeling. You know, the bell goes, she's in second place, uh, the leader is struggling a little bit, and you're just like, oh, Sonia has just sewn up, and yeah. it was always brilliant. as long as she was absolutely. within about twenty meters of the leader, yeah, going into exactly. the last lap, you're thinking just got a chance, especially in those longer distances, like. 5,000 metres. And it, that was textbook, actually, in, in 1995 in yeah. the World Championships. That was just, you know, Sonia at her absolute best. And it was actually absolutely brilliant. We're to go talking. Back and watch it again. Ken's here as well. Hey, I know. You're very Kieran, quiet on the whole Sonia, Rob Heffernan thing so far. Yeah, just... It's great uh, to have the two of them on together. Yeah, I can't wait to, to hear them, the two um, Cork members of the club. We're talking to two of the best local radio commentators in Ireland ahead of Sunday's All-Ireland semi-final. Murphy Liam Ahern of Live 95 and Limerick and Sil O'Connor, Claire Yeah. And I mean, I think anyone who uh, drives a bit during the Irish summer knows that the the lure of the local commentator is is it's actually quite hard to ignore. Uh, and we're talking to two of the best. And to be honest, I think an awful lot of them are actually brilliant because you're just getting something that 
you don't get with national commentary, which is totally pure amazing. unadulterated bias. <laughs> absolutely, and that, that's what makes it absolutely. That, that's what makes it brilliant, you know. And uh, we've played some very good clips from uh, various local radio stations uh, since the the show began here. And I think the best clip though is from Lee Mahern, uh, who we're speaking to a little later on. It's uh, him commentating on Live ninety five as the Munster final against Cork neared its end, and we can listen to it now. Declan Hannan well blocked down referee has a look at the watch out for a 65 in favour of Limerick and with that we'll see the last action of the game the Limerick supporters are ready to engulf the pitch we're about to see the mother and father of all parties 1996, 17 years since Limerick last won a Munster senior hurling title the 17 year famine is about to end there's people on the field already I think James McGuire will be just advised just to blow the final whistle. And let's get this party started at the Gaelic ground. Shane Dowling to put the cherry on the icing. It's gone right and wide. It's all over! 17 years! Yeah, that's absolutely... Too long. Absolutely brilliant. I feel bad for cutting across Liam O'Hearn. Mm. But we he's, will speak to him. He's logo in there. Yeah, absolutely. Only a couple of days later, Bruce Springsteen played in... Yeah, well, so pretty crazy few days. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, I think it was. It was just one of those times when uh, uh, a city is kind of just overtaken by good vibes. It doesn't have, happen often enough. Ken, are you aware of the animal, the honey badger? Yeah, uh, I mean, I remember seeing him in a YouTube clip. Well, you're one of about sixty million people who've seen him in that YouTube clip. He was a pretty uncompromising <laughs> uh, animal. Can, can I tell you something? Hmm? I haven't watched the honey badger clip. Are you serious? I mean, I, I, I know it's actually bad journalism by me. Because we're talking about the honey badger. Well, a kind of honey badger later on, uh, but I haven't watched. Am I the only person in the world that hasn't? We're seen talking this about thing? an American sportsman nicknamed the honey badger, whom I imagine shares some character traits with He's pretty this. Badass, Explain to me briefly the, the allure of the honey badger, the original honey, honey badger. Honey badger is a weird looking little thing. It's kind of like half badger, half sort of porcupine or something. Okay, it's got powerful claws uh, and a low center of gravity and big muscular jaws, and it essentially goes around there. You know, tunneling and uh, digging and ripping stuff and to shreds. And attacking beehives and so forth. Just, yeah, it, it doesn't care. It doesn't it, really... That's the whole point of the honey badger. It's not a, oh, Okay, okay, okay. Because it, it's actually very similar then. I guess the nickname makes total sense to me now. Mm. That's good, that's good. Tyra- Tyran Matthew is the name of the college football star who's picked up that much coveted nickname. Now, he was kicked off his college team for recreational drug issues, but he's in the NFL now and... That league, that sport, uh, I guess a lot of American major sports have these stories of young men dragging themselves up from very humble beginnings to get to the top. This guy's background is about as rough as it gets. We're going to talk to U.S. Murph a little bit. I don't want to fill you in on too much now because U.S. Murph has a lot to say about that a little bit later on. But first up, it's our newest world champion, Rob Heffernan. I'm delighted to say he joins us from Moscow. Uh, waking up, Rob, as the world champion this morning. How'd that feel? Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm just... I just after listening to Will Downing's coverage there, and I have goose pimples all over my body. I'm lying in the, I'm just lying down in the bed here, going through everything, and I have goose pimples. I'm freezing. <laughs> That's great. I, I, you know, I'm just, I, I just feel really happy. Like, 
yesterday was the morning time that you won was late morning um, Moscow time when you actually won your gold medal you did a load of interviews we were listening to them yesterday I don't know what else was going on was it a complete whirlwind of a day it was it was mad like um, it was just non-stop like, like I'm even I'm just we, we were doing more interviews there this morning and I'm just after coming back to the hotel room here just to relax and I'm just reading messages there on, on Twitter like I'm, you know, I'm laughing at a lot of them like you know and that's great it's the, just the, the general support it's, it's just starting to sink in no really like you know the impact that it's, it's having back home just people congratulate me and you know it's hard to get back to everybody like you know so it's great it's great and just it's just, just trying to take it all in now to be honest yeah it's nice to hear that you're getting a few minutes there by yourself have yourself and your family had any had any time to chat about what you've just experienced no it's, it's Everything is going at 100 miles an hour, like, I, that's why you said, Mark, come on, we just go back to the hotel there and relax, like, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great, like, it's just, it's unbelievable, like, you know, it's, it's hard to believe, like, you know. I'm sure it is, well, you have to start believing it, Rob, because you are a world champion, and we are now joined by another member of the gold medal club, Sonia Sullivan. Sonia, thanks very much for talking. That's all right. Uh, good morning, Rob, and thanks, well, Sonia, uh, fantastic, absolutely brilliant, well done. Thanks very much. I mean, I can't believe that, you know, we're bridging 18 years here between us, you know. It's, <laughs> it's a hell of a long time, and I would never have thought it was that long ago, you know. I suppose you don't look back like that, but, you know, when I suppose everybody mentions it now, it's just amazing, you know, that it's taken that long. But, you know, absolutely delighted to hand over the, the baton to Rob now and... Uh, <laughs> see who's next in line. I'm sure you're not surprised, though, that Rob Heffernan has eventually had his day. Um, no, definitely not. No, I mean, he was fantastic last year in London. was absolutely amazing. And um, I had heard earlier on in the year that he was out there doing absolutely everything, you know, leaving no stone unturned, as they say. And, um, you know, I know Rob is ever the professional and, you know, the detail and, you know, preparation must have been just absolutely spot on this year um, and you know I'm sure he went into the race with that confidence and when you can stand on the start line knowing that you've done everything then then you just go out there and you do what you got to do. Yeah it's an interesting point Rob because I heard you in a lot of your interviews yesterday it was put to you that you this medal helped you get over the disappointment of the Olympic Games and you were saying well I wasn't actually disappointed with the Olympic Games because I walked as fast as I could and I, that that's all you can really do. With that said did you still did you feel that you needed a medal? It turned out to be a gold medal, but that you needed a medal in a major championships like this to validate your career and all the hard work you've yeah. been doing. No, definitely. Like you know, it's the only thing. It was one of the only thing that kept me going. I, I, I have no medal. Like, and uh, I, I definitely felt unfulfilled without one. Like, so you know, it does make up for all the misses. But um, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Like you know, they, like even even with Sonia on the other end of the line, there I still get nervous. Like when when I'm around her because she she was such a big star to me and an inspiration growing up. You know. Yeah. And just and now to be mentioned in the same breath as her is, is unbelievable. Like even coming up to the games to the World Championships, you publicly stated you were going there to win a medal. You said you, you know there's no messing around with you, Rob. I think. People are aware a bit now about what you're all about over the years, but a lot of sports people are sometimes reluctant to speak like that coming into a games. I don't know. There's maybe people are superstitious. Like I yeah. went into London last year and I walked three thirty-seven, and it was the first proper year I really trained specifically for fifty k. And I just, you know, I I'm I'm very very good endurance wise, and 
and I, I still had some hamstring problems last year and I had to kind of manage all of them all year and this year I, I, my injuries cleared up and my training went better this year than it did before London and even I was on the physio table the night before and there was like Emma was saying to me she goes you're great everything is good and, and, and my training went perfect and I was like you know there's Golden, you're going to enjoy tomorrow. You've done all the work, and there's no reason why this is going to go bad. Like, yeah. you know, I, I did everything. Like, I, I missed, I missed six days training in the whole year. Like, and it's the most training I've missed over the last three years. I got sick at one period, and that's the only, that's the only bit of training I've missed. Like, you know. Yeah, Sonia, you spoke. I did everything, like, and uh, and a show yesterday. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering about that, Sonia, about what other athletes can maybe learn from Rob, because you spoke recently about the need for Irish athletes to get out there, get on the circuit, compete more, and not just be happy with qualifying for the big events and running a times. So there has to be a little bit more to it than that. Is there anything particular from Rob's success that Irish athletes should be looking at and thinking? There's no reason I can't do it as well. Uh, well, I mean, not just Irish athletes, but I think, you know, young kids watching, you know, they've just got to be so inspired and, you know, just believe now that, you know, you know, there's three of us have done it. And so it's not impossible. And, you know, you just have to work hard, you know, and what you have to do is you have to find your niche. You have to find what you're good at. And then you have to really do everything you possibly can to be the best that you can possibly be at it. And, you know, you don't worry about other people. You just look after yourself and you go out there and you push yourself as hard as you possibly can and you know some people it's probably impossible to be a world champion but uh, you know it, there is possibilities and you just have to go after it and really really I think the most important lesson is that if you work hard then you'll be rewarded. Yeah I saw a quote from you Rob in the Sunday Independent where you said at home there's pats on the backs for stuff that's just normal not even spoken about abroad people say you train so hard you work so hard big deal yeah. People get so much credit at home. Oh, he trains. He trains twice a day. All top class athletes train twice a day. Everybody does the 100. You know, oh, you deserve You No, nobody deserves. You don't deserve to win a medal because you, afford, you have to go and you have to win it. Like, and you have to put in the work. And, you know, there's people in all of the other countries in Europe, Australia, America. You know, they're all putting in the hard training and it's their job. And, you know, it's, it's not a, it's, you just have to get on with it. Like, and you need to be talented then as well on top of it. Like, you know. But hard work is what you're talking about, really. Just uh, insanely hard work looking at your training program. Yeah, like the race for me yesterday, like to to come into the race only training once a day for the last seven days. And and then when you have the cameras on you and when you have the crowd and when you have everybody working towards you, it's it's easier than training. Like like some of my training sessions there, they're just so, so tough when you're in the middle of big blocks of training. And then you go into the race and you're fresh and you're racing against people and, you know, you just get the benefit and you just feel so... When you, when you have all the work done in training, you can, you can enjoy the competition, you know? Yeah. Uh, Sonia, I guess you alluded to it earlier. It's been a fairly big gap between you winning a world title and Rob here winning a world title. Not that we haven't achieved anything in between times, but would you hope that Rob's victory now can give some inspiration to Irish athletes and Irish... As you say, Irish kids and Irish sports people that... Just because you're from a small country, it doesn't mean that you can't actually achieve on the biggest stage. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you have to go out there and you have to go for it. You know, a lot of people, they kind of are nearly afraid to kind of, you know, take that big leap of faith and do things mm. a little bit differently and, you know, go and talk to people, you know, who are the best in the world and the people who have been there and find out, well, how did you do that? And, you know, go and watch them and see what they're doing. And you just have to 
you know, you just have to learn how to be the best and work it out, I suppose. It's a puzzle, mm. you know, the whole thing is a bit of a puzzle. Um, but I think, like Rob said, once you have it figured out and you realize that, okay, well, this is, this is pretty much how you do it, you've got to mm. do it pretty hard and you've got to work really hard. And, you know, I always believe this was that, you know, if you train hard, then the races were easy. And I used to love mm. going to the races because that was the fun part. Um, you know, that was the, it was like a game, you know, and you could go out there and figure it out for yourself, but you had all the little things in your armor so that you could fend off people and you knew what to pull out, the weapons to pull out when you needed it. And you you just have to have everything that you possibly can have and be ready for battle, I suppose, um, when it comes to the competition. But, you know, when you have trained hard and you have that belief and, you know, you just know when you stand on the start line that there's no more you could have done then you just go out there and you enjoy it and it's a blast. Do you have to be from Cork as well? Is that part of the secret? <laughs> well, there's a secret water down there, like, you know. <laughs> we'll be bottling that now and selling it. Listen, Rob, you have the medal ceremony still to come this evening. I, I guess that is going to be an emotional time for you. Is it something that you're you're looking forward to at this stage? Is that the focus of today? Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's mad, because like, I always, you know, if it, it's like going... If I won a world championship stream and a winning one, that I'd have been jumping into the water, jumping the steeple chase and going bananas. But actually, I felt a bit awkward, like, you know? I was like, and then... And then how do you mean you felt was, awkward? I actually felt a bit shy, like, I right. was grand when I was racing, and then I was like, oh, no, what am I meant to do now, you know? But, uh, so I don't know, I'll play it for you, I'll enjoy it. I, I can't wait, to be honest, like, it's, you know, to having the national anthem played in, in Moscow, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be unbelievable, like. Absolutely, well, it's well-deserved and hopefully everybody will be watching. Listen, Rob Heffernan, thanks so much. And Sonia, thanks so much as well for chatting to us today. No problem, that's all right. Enjoy the medal ceremony, Rob. Thanks, Sonia. That medal ceremony is on at 5.49pm Irish time. It's just before, obviously just before 10 to 6 there, a minute before mm. the magical hour. These things only, six. only do last about a minute and a half. So though, we'll so. see how Rob gets on with the anthem and all the rest of it. Great to hear the two, two of the three members of that yeah. particular club. Really good stuff. And I do like the fact that when we talked about the idea that other athletes need to get up to this level, that neither Sonia nor Rob were willing to give everybody else an easy pass just because we're celebrating one person. Rob was saying, yeah, of course, there's, there's way too many people patting themselves in the back here. Get out there, do an insane amount of training like me, and mm. you can possibly... And then take it to the next level. You know, does the postman get praised for delivering a letter? No, no, Ken, he doesn't. Get out there, punish yourself 150 kilometers. 120 to 150 kilometers a week is what... Rob Heffernan is walking. Yeah. I don't know if I walk that far in a year. <laughs> I mean... He walks how, far fast is it your, how far is it to your bike every morning? <laughs> about 10 yards? Yeah. He walks it fast, though. That's the point. He, I think it's been stated in a few of the articles since he won that he walked a marathon distance recently. Bear in mind that 50 kilometers is longer than a marathon. It's about 8 kilometers longer mm. than a marathon. He ran a marathon, 26.2 miles, or 42 kilometers, in three hours, sorry, he walked, I should say, in three hours and ten minutes, Ken, which is to say that if I tried to run alongside Rob Heffernan for this marathon, it'd take me as the everyman. The, yeah, you know, the, the everyman. The, the, Josh Law. Yeah, the three and a half hour marathon runner. Yeah. Who was well, yet to actually run. Let's three, three and a half hours. Let's not go nuts here. Let's say three hours fifty, uh, <laughs> to be accurate about these things. I would... I just wouldn't be with him even from the very start. He'd be that fat, not much faster than me. I wouldn't even. He would be, just walk away from he'd be you. He'd quite literally walk away from you mile, yeah. as you were running. I mean, that's that's got to be even more embarrassing. I would like to him. see, you know, even footage of that. Yeah, so would I. What would that look like? McDevitt it's, running. McDevitt actually doing his best to run. Mm. You know, face contorted in pain. Yeah. And Rob Heffernan just gliding away from him. I wonder how 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 soon, you know, would we have? How soon would it happen that you'd be able to visually see? 
you know, the real embarrassment setting in. Well, I mean, within, within two kilometers. Presumably McDevitt would be able to lead for two or three kilometers. I mean, starting no, because, fresh, fresh, no, starting at a... because then the problem is, Ken, you're forgetting this is an endurance event. Mm. If I was to try and burst out of the blocks, it doesn't work like that when you're taking on a faster But presumably you're, you're, you're running a bit faster at the beginning than you are at the end when you're wrecked. Well, ideally, you shouldn't be. But if you go, try and go too fast at the beginning, you literally won't. I, I would also be walking at the end, but not Rob Heffernan walking. So he doing would, that really slow walking you see most marathon runners do towards the so end. So you'd start, you would be at the start line and you would both go at the same time and he would literally just walk away With from the, you yeah. as yeah. you I'd be, knocking out, I'd be knocking out some steady, maybe nine minute miles at the start and he'd be doing maybe seven minute miles. Right. Oh, Within so one mile, he'd be, he'd be oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That's even more yeah. embarrassing than the, than the banana. It's worse than the banana. Yeah. Although, the banana I must, what I need there, see, what I really need badly is some eagle-eyed judges to make sure his technique is okay. Because you see this, he got a warning during the race. Yeah. This could be Rob Heffernan's downfall against me if I had some judges there just to watch out. Yeah. I have to say, aside from maybe umpires in Gaelic games, yeah. I don't know if there's any position in world sport in which the people involved have less of a clue what they're doing. And I don't blame, I don't actually blame umpires for that. They're just, I've said it a few times, but if they're in the worst position in the stadium to see whether a ball's gone over the bar, they're going to look up, craning back, seeing if they can see something. Those judges in the race walking, I mean, I don't know what they're looking out they're for exactly. Too, but yeah. They're yeah. just the odd time they throw it. I mean, I, th- I think if, if they see 10 consecutive missteps by a walker, they're, oh yeah, here, listen, this guy's, you know, taking the Yeah, pace. if one guy's clearly running yeah. for a minute, they'll say, well, this guy's, this, yeah. this doesn't look right at all. Yeah, and the, the card brandishing, I'm, I'm never convinced by them, the way they brandish that card. Mm. I don't think they're really backing themselves, yeah. that they know exactly what they're talking about. I mean, it's, you know, it's nearly as if they're walking up to get one guy, but if he kind of, you know, kind of goes behind a pole or something, they'll be like, well, just give it to the next guy. Time now for a bit of this. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. We're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Brian, we hope you're keeping well this week, as always. All is good on here. Uh, America, summertime, we're getting oh, ever closer to football. And, you know, we love our baseball pennant races, but I think I've told you before on the podcast that uh, my beloved Giants have fallen on hard times. And uh, so we, we turn our eyes to uh, football. You know me. I love my college football. That starts in two weeks. I know you guys aren't huge on it over there, although I think Penn State's coming over your way. Uh, to play over there, and then of course the NFL. But gosh, I tell you what, the NFL doesn't start till September eighth. That's the first weekend for the Forty ers That feels like a million years away. I'm ready for it. All. Uh, I'm ready. We want to talk to you about a guy trying to make the transition from college football to the NFL, Brian. But there are quite a few complications in this story. There have been in the life of the Honey Badger. We were talking to you about Johnny Football a couple of weeks ago, Brian, a troubled college football star. And this is another guy who is the Honey Badger. It's incredible, isn't it? We go from one troubled college star to another. And what does that say about kind of like a larger statement about what's going on with American college football in the modern era? Because it just seems like there's so many different things pulling on these kids that are conflicting with these sort of old NC2A rules that is producing a lot of controversy these days. And we talked to Honey Badger. By the way, just a brief aside on Johnny Football, which continues to, by the way, continues to rage the controversy. We're still not sure he's going to be eligible to play this year. 
I heard somebody called uh, Tyrone Matthew is who you're asking about uh, yeah. the the honey badger. Somebody called uh, Johnny Football the money badger because of uh, his scandal involves uh, signing autographs for money. So it's kind of funny. Two controversial college football players. Both from the southern part of the United States, Owen, no surprise, that's where all the football's super serious in college, man. This stuff gets very, very serious. Just, I mean, it'd be so hard to summarize Tyrone Matthews' journey in, in, you know, less than an hour, so I'll try to do it in a minute and a half here for you, but one of the most naturally talented football players we've seen in years, and not a big guy, a small guy, about 5'9", about 180, very tiny by NFL standards, but fast as the wind, runs beautifully, and plays a ball-hawking defensive back that you've never seen uh, the likes of in years. And by that I mean the guy just always seems to be around the ball. When he was at Louisiana State University, LSU, one of the great college football programs in this country, very high profile, always vying for a national championship, always playing in front of 100,000 fans in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was a superstar in the 2011 season because he would rip the ball out of people's hands. He would scoop it up and run it in for touchdowns. He would return punts for touchdowns, too, in very dazzling style, slashing, dashing, breaking tackles. And he was tiny. And so he was this kind of guy you couldn't take your eyes off him because of his speed, because of his ball hawking. And then one of his uh, defensive coaches, this was at the time that viral video, the honey badger was going around. I'm sure you guys saw it about that animal that was narrated by that very flamboyant guy talking about how the honey badger doesn't take any mess from anybody and this and that. And so one of his defensive coaches at LSU said, man, you're just like the honey badger out there. And that stuck. The only problem is, Owen, of course, is that uh, real life intervened. And, and after he darn near won the Heisman Trophy as a defensive player, which never happens, which is college football's top, top trophy, uh, he then got kicked off the LSU team about one year ago. One year ago, August of 2012, the report was multiple violations of the drug policy. And the word came out that he was a serial uh, abuser of marijuana and that they couldn't even keep him on the team. And that's saying something, Owen, because their, their morals are pretty lax down, down south. When it comes to college football, they'll always find a way to get you on the field. So if they could always try to cheat the system, they would. But uh, Tyrone Matthew, a.k.a. the Honey Badger, made it too hard on LSU. They kicked him off the team. And then, like I said, we could go on and on and on. But just to summarize, what we learned as the kid began to do more media is that he came from an incredibly hard scrabble background. Very sad childhood with no mother or father to speak of. Really, you know, his father was a, uh, was a classic criminal who I believe was even murdered at a young age. I think he never knew his mother. Uh, very sad stories about a kid who just never had any direction in life. And, and you know, obviously he was going to run into trouble when he had no guidance. But here's the real turn in the story. He sat out the entire 12 college football season, which is usually, that's a death sentence. It means, you're, you know, teams are going to stay away from you in the NFL because you haven't played football for a year. But this kid is only 21 years old, and the Arizona Cardinals took him in the third round of the NFL draft. Pretty high, but not first or second round. And right now, Owen, as we speak, this kid is tearing it up at the Arizona Cardinals training camp. It looks like an amazing story this summer. He might be the story of the NFL training camp summer. And he's going to get his first NFL start this weekend against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, it's preseason, so it doesn't mean much. But he'll be out there at free safety. And they say uh, one of the NFL scouts, the, the quote going around is that pound for pound, He's the best player in the Arizona Cardinals training camp. So really an amazing story of, of, of rise, fall, and now a rise back again for a very compelling player. Yeah, and he's a guy. I'm sure people can YouTube him now and have a look at some of his highlight reel, which is really impressive. Brian, he's not the biggest guy you're ever going to see, but he's just lightning. He's incredible to watch as a defensive player alone. Just on the backstory that you told us about there, he moved 
when he when everything happened that happened with his parents, he ended up living with his grandparents in New Orleans. I think his granddad died. He moved in with his uncle. He's still only five years of age at this stage. Hurricane Katrina hits a while later. Then he has to move to Texas a few more years to move back. This there's a huge backstory there. Did people only become aware of that after after he kind of got into the trouble? Sort of yes and no. Um, we learned a little bit about it when he was having his sensational year for LSU in 2011. Now, mind, he was only 19 years old when that was going on, when he had that great year for LSU. So he began to do some media. and But, you know, again, this is a story that took some digging for these reporters to go find because there wasn't really a lot of sourcing done on this stuff. He grew up in New Orleans, and, you know, like you mentioned, Katrina and everything. It's very, you know, it, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of hard stories down there when you get down into kind of the, the Louisiana, the rural parts of Louisiana especially. So only some hard-digging reporters wound up writing longer profiles about him and finding out his family's backstory. And you really kind of startled you, you know, just to contrast him with Johnny Football. Uh, you know, we, we found out that one of the things about the Manziel story that's so different is that he comes from a really well-to-do family, that they have no concerns about money whatsoever, and that's why people are shocked that Johnny Football would sign for profit because he's got a lot of money. And, and so you take that story and you contrast it with Teron Matthew, a.k.a. the Honey Badger, and you think, wow, well, here's a guy you could see going off the rails because he had no guidance and he's had no uh, – there's a really poignant anecdote from a guy in the Sporting News who wrote, and he said he interviewed him. And you guys can read this, too. It's all on the web. You guys should have, if, if the Irish uh, fans have some time, to go Google the guy and, and read some of his backstory. And, and you and I both read the story on Grantland.com, which is a great website here in the States um, that you know, writes really long-form stories, that one of the writers who interviewed him said that it was emotionally exhausting for him as a writer to listen to Teron Matthew tell his life story because he was, like, stunned at how, how different it was from any other kid who grew up with a normal mom and dad. And the really poignant detail was that Tyrone Matthews said he had no concept of mother and father. And then when he finally did find a mother and father figure, he had trouble saying the words mom and dad because he didn't – they had no meaning for him and he felt weird saying them. I mean it's just heartbreaking stuff really. So in one way you look at the kid on the surface and you're like, oh, what a knucklehead. He blew his chance. He smoked pot all day. He didn't take it seriously. And all that's true. He did blow his chance at LSU. But on the other hand, you have to factor in the context of it all, which is, wow, this guy's come from a background where he really didn't have any kind of, uh, any kind of uh, guidance or leadership. And now you look at him in the NFL where he could have gone the wrong way. You know, there are any number of stories of guys who missed a year of college football. Maurice Claret from Ohio State, people who know their hardcore college football. Uh, Mike Williams at USC, guys who sat out for a year for one reason or another and then got to the NFL and they'd either lost a step or lost their focus, or gotten out of shape, or whatever. So for Teron Matthew, the Honey Badger, to show up in Arizona and, and deliver the way he's delivering. Now it's August. It's August. We'll see what happens in September and October and November. But right now, for him to deliver, the Cardinals must feel like they got to steal. Because if he can deliver with his speed and his game-breaking ability, then they are, they are in great shape and they have one of the great stories of the league. It certainly sounds like the sporting public, for the time being anyway, Brian, is a lot more patient with this guy than with Johnny Manziel for reasons quite obvious maybe that you've outlined there. I know the, the piece you mentioned, Grant, and we'll post a link to this after the, after the program today online and on Twitter anyway, but the piece raised by that reporter was that 
one of the great things in some ways is how invest about reporting on sports or being a sports fan is how emotionally invested you get in certain sports teams and in certain people. But that's a double-edged sword because when they fall, it hurts you and, it, and you kind of connect with the person. I know we've got probably Paul McGrath, our most famous footballer in that context, a guy who has, right through his career, was battling an alcohol problem and it did affect his career at various times but everybody was always patient with him he just he had a sort of charisma about him and he had something about him that people felt sympathy there was never any real rancor that I remember anyway towards him is it something similar with this guy with this young player or is it just for the time being people will be lenient but really if he starts messing around the Arizona fans won't be too patient with him for too long yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point there, and, and, and the, certainly I know about Paul McGraw and that. Now, Paul McGraw would be much more decorated than Tyrone Matthew is. I mean, McGraw played all those World Cups and international caps for you guys and all that, so I think he was much more beloved. I think there's a lot to be written with Tyrone Matthew. I mean, there's a huge amount that is yet to be filled in. Uh, uh, you know, again, for him, you know, and for a lot of recovering drug addicts or alcohol addicts or anybody, everybody knows it's day by day. And if you follow his Twitter feed, uh, the Honey Badger's Twitter feed, which is another way to kind of get a peek into the guy, you know, he's writing all these motivational things on his Twitter feed, and he's got guys like Deion Sanders, the legend, you know, openly supporting him and saying, I believe in you and you can do this and all that. So if by, like, November or December the Cardinals are getting good, now they have a difficult situation. They're in... They're in our division, the NFC West, you know, my beloved 49ers, who, uh, of course, we all know came within three points of a Super Bowl championship and are looking, for doing, looking to do that again. And right up the road, the Seattle Seahawks, who are an amazing team with an amazing quarterback, Russell Wilson. I'm sure we'll talk about them in the coming weeks. But those, those are some people would say those are the two best teams in football right there, the Seahawks and the 49ers. And the Arizona Cardinals have to vie with those two teams. So, so they have a tough situation. But the seasons are weird. Weird things can happen. You know, teams can go sideways and unexpected teams can rise to the top. In fact, nobody had the Seahawks going, you know, being a great team last year. So the Cardinals have a new quarterback, Carson Palmer. You know, he's a little bit washed up, and they have the great receiver, Larry Fitzgerald. And if they can connect and they get good, then what you're talking about, the public affection for Teron Matthew to sort of backdoor answer the question, is that then you'll see a lot of um, people acknowledge his story. I think a lot of people right now have sort of written him off as a drug case who's gone wrong and you'll never hear from him again. You know, you have to be you have to be pretty hardcore football head to be following the training camp news. A lot of people will only tune in when the season starts and rightfully so cuz training camp is just training camp. But when they get to the season and if he can deliver like he can, he will be one of the great redemption stories. And the other part of it too, Owen is that he he's been so open since he got kicked off the team at Louisiana State. You know, he did a, famously did an interview on either ESPN or NFL Network. I forget which one it was. But the guy, poor guy just broke down. He absolutely broke down and wept. And you hate to see it at that time, 20-year-old kid, you know, laying bare his life and being embarrassed and ashamed and crying. And it's like, wow, that's a tough deal, you know, to see a kid like that. So that, that kind of stuff will, will go a long way towards making you appreciate him. Not to mention the fact that just as a football player, if you see this guy ripping off interception returns for touchdowns or stripping the ball, that's his big thing. Is he likes to strip the ball out of teams, out of ball carriers' hands. It's kind of an art, a lost art. And if he does that and scoops them up and runs them in, then uh, you'll watch the fame and, uh, and adoration come pouring in. Are there any sports people you can think of, Brian, in your own career just following sports in the U.S. that have been maybe troubled, have had their issues, but you yourself have 
been quite forgiving of them. Yeah, gosh, you kind of. Um, well, God, you know, of course, I, the first one that comes to mind is Barry Bonds. I knew you were going to say Barry Bonds, but, <laughs> but that's like the worst analogy yeah. of all time because the guy did nothing but you know, stuff his ego in his wallet with performance-enhancing drugs. No, you're talking about the crippling disease of addiction, yeah. uh, things that guys, that, that diseases that they can't control that send them off the rails. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, there are guys like that. Darryl, you know, I was never a Mets fan, but Daryl Strawberry was a famous baseball player in the 1980s who was extremely charismatic, and his teammate, Dwight Gooden, Doc Gooden, Another player from those 80s teams are two very legendary baseball players in the 80s who just had incredible amounts of talent, and the both of them just absolutely kind of flushed their careers down the toilet with drug use. And it makes you, you look, and now they're both resurfaced in the public. Dwight Gooden, in fact, you guys should, I don't know if you've had him on, but you guys should, might want to get him on. He wrote a book uh, recently, really well-received and critically acclaimed book. Uh, about his path and about his, he was one of the most electric baseball players of the 1980s, and he was also that lost art or that lost demographic in baseball today. He was a black American playing baseball. You just don't see that anymore. And he was an amazing pitcher who who just went just absolutely off the deep end with cocaine. And now he's written a book talking about it all. And we had him on our show, and uh, the sympathy you felt for the guy because you loved him as a player, and now he's standing in front of you like man, this is where I screwed up. This is where I went bad. And, you know, you have to be pretty cold-hearted to, to turn your back on this guy's story or not listen to what he has to say. Daryl Strawberry's doing the same thing, too. Now he's a minister in Missouri after all that. So, yeah, you, you see him all over the place, and, uh, and, it's, and it's sad. Uh, you know, you root for these guys because, you know, ultimately, in the end, we're all in the same boat. We're all human beings. And if you don't forgive people along the way, then, you know, then maybe you've got to look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, Tyron Matthew is the name of the player we've been talking about here. The Arizona Cardinals is the team, Brian. One of the storylines that will be coming out of the NFL this year, but we're still a few weeks away. Great to talk to you as always. Thank you. As always, Owen, we look forward to football coming up. That's why I love Brian Murphy. I said it, Murphy. I love Brian Murphy. I try to find an Irish comparison for Tyron Matthew. I think we, I might just stop calling him the Honey Badger. Yeah. Because I try to talk about it serious enough topic and then just keep using this nickname. But I bring up Paul McGrath thinking... Almost a little bit in a condescending way to Brian, maybe just suggesting that you might know about this guy, Paul McGrath, here. But Brian, but he's had his issues over here and we have always forgiven him for them, I suppose. But Brian immediately shows a greater understanding of McGrath than I probably had. Yeah, and I think the uh, the comparison actually has uh, quite a bit of merit, really, because uh, it goes to the heart, really, of what uh, the sort of things, basically, that as a sports fan, you're willing to forgive in players and the rules are never black and white. It's not a case of uh, on on this one side there are things that a, a sportsman can do or try and get away with that you're just never going to let them get away with. And then there's other behaviours that are absolutely fine in your mm. book. It goes to basically the the personal character of the per, of the the person involved and uh, or what you perceive that to be. Because yeah, as exactly. you say, we don't really know. Uh, like, none of us are friends with Paul McGrath necessarily, but we there's always, there was always that vulnerable thing about him it felt like he was vulnerable it felt like we should love him whereas other people might have done a lot of the same things the same damaging things to people to himself and to people in his life uh, in his life I should say and they mightn't have got quite as, exactly, as easy you know, and I think that that's, that's just the you, you make assumptions on people and you, 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 you I think that there is a, uh, in the same way in life that you, you meet someone and you, you decide pretty early on whether this is someone that you know, deserves the benefit of the doubt, and I think it's 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 actually it's it's strange. The, the comparison 
is is interesting. And obviously, Paul has had an amazing career. And Teran Matthew, we've only seen him maybe yeah, one that year. That was the point you know? that Brian was making. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. And so I think this. Um, I, th- I think that it, it, the comparison is interesting, but there are obviously huge, huge differences as well. But, but I, I, th- I still think that given, I mean, I've seen some of, the, some of uh, his stuff on YouTube. I haven't, I haven't seen sort of full games involving Tram Matthew, but the guy looks like a total phenomenon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with the NFL season starting in the next couple of weeks, he's a guy that I would definitely be, be looking out for. We'll post that Grantland piece up on Twitter. And that actually has a couple of links within it to some of his ridiculous plays and some of what he's done on the field. But a huge semi-final coming up in... A huge semi-final. It's, it's an All-Ireland semi-final, Murph, therefore it's huge. And Lord knows the hurling people of this country have been reminding us how huge every game has been so far. Yeah. It got season. a little crazy last week, I think. There was, particularly in the first half of Dublin Cork, there were just people talking about hurling as if it was some kind of religion. Only more serious than that. Only a lot more Forget serious about your World Cup finals, Ken. Forget about everything. It's ever happened. Yeah. Hurling is the greatest thing. As if it was important. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is important, Ken. It's important to an awful lot of people. You know, it's like um, I arrived home to my house yesterday and I was just walking up the path and I thought, wow, what's, what's going on? And I, I saw these, these shapes moving around and then I, then I started looking closer and I realized that the entire path was crawling with these flying ants have you ever seen them they, no. they sort of when, I, when you've got an ant nest usually you don't really notice it it's an unobtrusive uh, enough uh, yeah. thing to have at the, at the front or whatever mm-hmm. but there's a day every year when the flying ones come out and I don't know what exactly part of the life cycle of the ant nest it is they swarm out and they fly around the neighborhood and I suppose they try and find make up new nests or something like that yeah. and just the entire place was crawling with these little winged insects and I suppose it's a little bit like the um, the way that hurling is important one day every year <laughs> uh, well we, are you talking about the Ireland hurling final because I mean it's already we've already had quite a few ant infestations uh, it's the on, it's in the various season. venues season around year, the, should be more charitable. yeah wood season is a little more accurate I think we're joined by Liam Ahern match commentator with Live 95 FM in Limerick and Syl O'Connor match commentator with Clare FM ahead of Limerick versus Clare this Sunday Liam I'll start with you uh, it's been an unbelievable season so far for Limerick. We played a bit of your commentary earlier on of the closing stages of the Munster final victory over Cork. How is the excitement building up nicely now? It is, yeah. I suppose we're, we're only a couple of days out from it now and not too many people would have expected, certainly Limerick or, or indeed uh, Clare, I suppose, uh, down this side of the country to be in an All-Ireland semi-final at the start of the year. So, yeah, look, excitement has been, well, I suppose it reached fever pitch for, for the Munster final and it's just been a continuation of that for the last number of weeks. So, looking forward to Sunday. Yeah, the Munster final looked absolutely insane on the day. The beautiful photographs afterwards of the Limerick supporters on the field and all the songs that were going on as well. What was that like to be a part of? It was something special, no, no doubt about it. Um, you know, we've we've covered many uh, sporting events down here: Munster winning Heineken Cups, homecomings, all of that since since I arrived here in two thousand and eight. Uh, and I, I think that Munster final, day, the, just the outpouring of emotion there was uh, at the final whistle, was just something that I've never seen the likes of before, and probably won't see it again unless hopefully we're involved in uh, the second Sunday in September. But uh, look, it it was something very, very special. I think people are still trying to get over that and, and just looking forward to, to Sunday now. It's it's instilled great confidence down here and taking away what what would be a long summer otherwise. And Liam, was there was there word of a Lee Mahern hoodoo 
that you hadn't actually commentated on a victory in the Munster Championship for the Limerick Hurlers until this year. Did I hear that, or was that right? Yeah, thanks, Kieran, for bringing that up. Yeah, um, yeah I joined in, in 2008, and uh, believe it or not, um, of course, we got to the, the All-Ireland Final in, in 2007. I was actually with Clare FM at the time when uh, Clare played Limerick in the, in the quarter final, but uh, uh, we didn't win a Munster Championship game from that year to this since I arrived so the hoodoo has been well and truly arrested yeah, at this stage making up for lost time at this stage I think Sil O'Connor of Clare FM is also with us Sil I guess it's been a bit of a bit more of a low key season for Clare in the sense that they were beaten by Cork in the Munster Championship but uh, you're still into the All-Ireland semi-finals with an exciting young team what are the fans there saying? Well the fans are looking forward to it uh, and the very fact that it's against Limerick and so many people. It's amazing the amount of cows that, that you would come across, and I'm sure Liam would say the same in Limerick, where on one window there'll be a clear flag and on another window there'll be a Limerick flag, which is very, very unusual. And it just shows you that the crossover, not alone in relationships, but in working relationships as well and in working environments. And it just what makes it that little bit more unusual. And I think any clash between Clare and Limerick, I think the forum book goes straight out the door and it just takes on a whole new meaning and a whole new life of its own whenever that ball is thrown in. It seems like quite a friendly rivalry, Sil. Would I be right in saying there's not a massive needle in it? No, there wouldn't be a massive needle in it, but there'd be a lot of ball hopping in it. <laughs> I think that would take over from the needle, you know. There'd be a lot of that, even in my own house as well. And uh, it's the, that's the way it goes. Like it's, it's almost a one-upmanship for a couple of hours on uh, on Sunday evening and uh, no there wouldn't be any that bitter needle or not, not nothing related to that but certainly you wouldn't pass out many people on the opposite side they wouldn't have a ball hop off you every now and then what is there a lot of ball hopping going on in Limerick Liam? A small bit, all right. You see, here in Limerick, particularly in Limerick City, a lot of people in Limerick City move to Kilkee for the whole summer down down in West Clare. So it's kind of a second home for, for most Limerick people. So a lot of the ball hopping, I'd say, has probably gone on down there. But look, I mean, as Sil says, uh, no matter who you meet, they know somebody, they're related to somebody, they're going out with somebody that's uh, living or working in Clare. So there's great banter, particularly around Shannon. I know there's a lot of Limerick people working out in Shannon, and I know a lot of offices haven't done much work this week in the build up to it and probably Monday and Tuesday won't do too much work either there'll be a lot of slagging but look still said it it's friendly banter for a couple of hours afterwards whoever team whichever team loses will be kind of sour and you know head tail between their legs but after that then it'll just turn into general banter after it and I'm sure whoever loses will be wishing the other team well on, on the 2nd of September 2nd Sunday in September Yeah you both you both hate, hate Tipperary basically and you can get, get along just fine between yourselves but uh, Liam the week of the Munster final saw obviously the Munster final and then also uh, Bruce Springsteen playing in Thoman Park and I think we all saw the front page of the Limerick leader that that week and it just seemed like an extraordinary kind of couple of days in the sort of in the history of the city, not just from a, a sporting context. It seemed like a like a pretty a pretty amazing time to be to be hanging around Limerick. Oh, it certainly was, and I was at the Bruce Springsteen gig on on the Tuesday night afterwards, uh, and uh, still kind of celebrating if the truth be told that at that gig on Tuesday night, and uh, when he he was just about to play Glory Days, and he dedicated it to the Limerick hurlers, and uh, there's a famous YouTube video going around where it's uh, anybody that hasn't seen it it uh, has subtitles in for people that can't understand him and he says congratulations to Limerick on winning the the Munster hurling and he goes I'm going to give it a try now and he 
hurled his guitar to the back of the stage, if you like, just threw it back. And he said, I haven't a clue what it is, but congratulations anyway. It, 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 was, it was just a great week in Limerick. Still amazing times in Limerick. In terms of how Clare uh, have looked at the season, how Clare supporters have looked at it, David Fitzgerald in charge there now, of course. We kind of got the sense when he took over that it wasn't universal it wasn't a universal acclaim. A lot of people think he thought he would do a good job. Some people weren't quite as certain. How is he doing now in, in the court of public opinion? Well, going back to the original question, I think there was more apprehension there exactly where Claire stood at that particular time because, you know, you, we all remember that famous statement in 2009 in Parnell Park where there was a statement made that Claire wouldn't play in Division 2 of the National Hurling League. Uh, and then, you know, three or four seasons later, we find ourselves still inside it, trying to get out of that, you know. And uh, Division 2 had a huge effect on, from a clear point of view, because they were trying to build up, you know, there was nothing wrong with Division 2. When you're trying to build up momentum or build up a team, you're hoping to take on a top opposition, which is, which is a total contradiction in 2013, because the last four teams in the Ireland Championship, uh, two of them are still in Division 2, and to just avoid relegation, you know, uh, which kind of, uh, you know, throws the whole thing up in the air. But at that particular time, it was. Um, as regards David Fitzgerald, well, he was going to bring it to uh, another level, but I think whatever apprehension might be there might have been exactly where Claire Hurling stood at that particular time. And then, of course, the question was, would David Fitzgerald be the man to bring it out of that? And... Um, Look at those people, you know, there was people looking for the head of Brian Cody for a while after Kilkenny were beaten. So for God's sake, if they're looking for Brian Cody's head, what chance does that give everybody else? And that's just the way people are. Yeah. And uh, memories are short uh, in that kind of a thing, you know. But I think that's what generated that question mark right. in Clare at that particular time. Rather than a personal thing, it was a set of circumstances as well. Liam, just lastly, uh, you guys are obviously going to be commentating for uh, local radio stations, commentating to the people there. But there's also such an online presence these days that I guess in, in a lot of ways, would you see yourselves as a link to the diaspora, to people who've emigrated and uh, Limerick people, in your case, worldwide? Yeah, it's, it's, it was crazy there in the build-up to the Munster final where uh, uh, Twitter k- kind of came alive with, with people tweeting, going, any chance you'd say hello to this fella, that fella, and uh, another fella that's uh, in Australia will be listening to your commentary. And even even a lot of lads that I was in school and college with have uh, gone over the last couple of years. And it's, it's a bit strange because the dynamic of it has changed. And uh, certainly on Sunday afternoon, and I know Sil is probably the same, that many of the people that you'll be commentating for won't actually be listening on actual FM because a lot of, I know they're expecting somewhere in the region about 40,000 Limerick people in Croke Park on Sunday, so I don't think there'll be too many left <laughs> to listen to FM. But uh, the amount of people that listen to it online now and, and via the, the the app and all of that, it's it's crazy really the amount of people that have left and can't watch it on television and getting up at 4 and 5 in the morning in Australia to, to listen to matches. It's It's been crazy really. Yeah, is that the same for you, Absolutely. And I think it's one of the things that stands out because, as Liam was saying, you know, let's be honest about it. On Sunday, with the vast amount of people in Crow Park, you know, the majority of people after that would be watching it on television. So now you have a kind of a different audience, more so than before, generated from online. And spot on. It's absolutely incredible the amount of people that send on to Facebook, Twitter, listening in, sending on best wishes, asking, you know, just to to give them a mention and uh, 
that kind of a thing. And I just think it's a, it's a new outlet for them and certainly something, getting up in the middle of the night, early mornings, it doesn't make any difference uh, to those people once they can hear what's happening in Crow Park from t- 3.30 on Sunday. All right, guys, it's going to be exciting. I'm not going to ask you for predictions because you'd both be in an impossible situation there. Sil O'Connor, Claire FM and Liam Ahern, Live 95 in Limerick. Lads, thanks very much to the two of you. Liberty Insurance is proud to be the first ever partner of both GAA Hurling and Camogie. To celebrate, we will give €50 to your local GAA club when you take out a Liberty Insurance motor or home policy. For more, visit libertygaa.ie. Liberty Insurance. Insurance the way it should be. Terms and conditions apply. Offer applies to new policies for private motor or home insurance taken out between now and the 13th of October 2013. Liberty Insurance Limited is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Well, sure that's the question. That's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. Second Captains Football, available on irishtimes.com, Second Captains, and iTunes from 6pm tonight. Tonight, 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 tonight. Liam Ahern, match commentator with Live 95 in Limerick, and Sil O'Connor with Claire FM there. Murph, uh, Alan English, the editor of the Limerick Leader, sent out a tweet this morning titled, Who Wants It Most? He compared the front page of his own paper, the Limerick Leader, to the Clare Champion. And he noted that 90... Well, you didn't have to... You didn't need to really see a percentage. Visually, it worked. Yeah. It's a quite an arresting sight. Essentially, the entire Limerick leader, bar a little ad in the bottom corner, is dedicated to the hurling. Clare champion, 0% as yeah. noted by Al I mean, it's not like... They're reporting on news and stuff like they're that. Leading, they're leading, I think, are leaving cert results. Um, yeah. Leaving cert results. It's not, it's not really like we're dealing with, you know, a county jaded by, you know, an uninterrupted 25 years of hurling success. I mean, Clare in Ireland hurling semi-final is big, big news. Just not half as big as it is in Limerick, as it turns out. I mean, not not half. I mean, I've, my figures are way off here. Ninety-five percent versus zero percent, which is which strikes me as it's quite odd. I mean, I, I would have thought that the the champion there would have had would have had a little, little bit of hurling. Just to note that uh, towards the end of the conversation there with the lads. Online is where it's at these days. Oh, just, yeah, listen, I mean, just, just people listening to this online radio show. It was show. quite interesting to me. You know, that yeah. uh, they're very far-sighted individuals there. I mean, FM, really, you know. Who's, it's all who's even it. listening? Who's even tuning into that? I mean, if you're at home, you're watching it on TV. You know, and if you're at the game, you're not going to be listening to anything at all. So online, that's where it's at. But hey, you know, I, I suppose that's just a point thrown out of nowhere by us, which, you know, demands no further comment from us. Coming up at six o'clock today. Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to leave it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to me. I went down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> Second Captain's Football Thursday edition, Ken. Yeah, we're going to be talking a bit about that Ireland game. Oh. I know Richie and Emmett are looking forward to talking about that. It uh, was, you know, I mean, is, we could lead with something else, you know, maybe Ireland, Wales. Well, is it the sheer boringness of it all is what, what we're actually about? going to talk about? The sheer boringness? Yeah, I mean, it was terrible. This is not meant to be fun. You know, it's not, it's not all popcorn and candy floss, yeah. you know? This yeah. is hard 
grueling work. We heard from Rob Heffernan earlier on in yep. this program. He's out there 120, 150 kilometers a week, up and down and up and down those little hills around Cork every week. You think it's fun? You think it's no. f- you think every he's out there thinking this is the greatest fun I've ever had in my life? No, no, no. He's working towards a goal, and so it is with this Ireland team. This Ireland team against Wales, sure. You know, not a lot of people turned up. You know, it's not evidently it's not profitable or popular for people to turn up to these games these days. Fair enough. I suppose these are the same kind of people who expect when they walk down by the riverbank and they see an egg hatching uh, amid the rushes, a beautiful little miniature swan. To just walk out, maybe with golden feathers or something like that. <laughs> a beautiful, fully formed swan yeah. instead of an ugly, wretched-looking uh, you know, ball of, uh, of fluff, which can't even swim. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, uh, and, and, and that's an unrealistic expectation. And what I'm saying is that this is a young team. It's a very young team, which hasn't really figured out how to play with itself so to speak, hasn't figured out how to, how to play together. Yeah. But it will, and it needs time, and it needs work, and it needs patience, and it needs development, and it needs friendly matches against Wales. And maybe it's good that nobody turned up. Maybe it's good that nobody was there to see that last night. But I, I felt like, I felt like it, was, I, it was a test of my citizenship. You know, if, if, if you had applied for you know, asylum me, here in Ireland. Did you switch over to the England game? I, yeah, yeah, not, did. I mean, it's you not, did. Did no, you? No, hold on a second here. Hold on a second. So no, did I. I mean, I switched to, over at half time. throwing accusations around the place. You did I, switch over. I did switch over at half time. I switched back for the Ireland game. And then at various stages throughout the second half, I did, for no more than 30 seconds at a time, yeah. I did flick over to ITV. And it just seemed, it really seemed like you were sitting at home and there was this brilliant house party going on next, next door, door and you weren't invited. Yeah, I only... And this is true. I only flicked over after the Ireland game was finished. It was actually just after the England game had ended. And what I was struck by was the atmosphere, just alone. The football had finished this stage, but obviously it had been an exciting game. There was a popular goal scorer of the final goal, Ricky Lambert, a big, great story of somebody coming up through the ranks and all that kind of thing. But it, was, it struck me that, hang on a second, even the amount of people there, I was, I was thinking, don't, don't the English get wound up for us as much as they do for the Scots? Apparently not. Well, well, there were 80,000 people there. there was, I, I mean, mean, a lot of them were Scots. When Ireland played uh, England, the stadium was more or less full at Wembley. Um, was it that big a crowd then? That was it, just, a huge, it, just, it, it was a huge crowd. It was just a, quite a full game. game. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. uh, again, our, our team, it's hard to beat. You know, it's hard mm. to love at hard the to, moment. And, uh, and frequently hard to watch. I was wondering at one point last night, was John Aldridge watching the end of the Ireland game? Paddy Madden, comes on, makes his debut, gets well, one difficult enough chance, which was well saved, one really easy chance, which he scuffed, and maybe even another chance again. This is the one where he put over the bar. Yeah, I did make the point. He put another one tamely into the goalkeeper's hands. Yeah. I was thinking, well, I wasn't just thinking, I, I put on Twitter, Ken. Yeah. John Aldridge waited 20 games to get a chance <laughs> as good as th- one or two that Paddy Madden got in the first 10 minutes of international football. Yeah, well, maybe... Uh I suppose with John Aldridge, he was having to run to the corners a lot. Under, That's the problem, yeah. Under Jack Charlton. Um, but the important thing with Paddy Madden now is he's getting in the positions. That's true. Uh, and as long as he's getting in those positions, then goals will probably follow. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're to ask Alex Ferguson, Ken, we all know what he'd say. Just hit that ball. Just whack it. Just hit that <laughs> ball as hard as you can, Paddy. I mean, you know, no argument with Alex Ferguson over, over here. Uh, Ken. Second captain's football coming up at 6 o'clock today. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen.
Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, guys, and thanks for listening. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. <laughs>